right, let's do this. Hello, and welcome to the 10th episode of Till Death Do Us Part. I'm Daniel. And I'm Melissa. Ten episodes. You are awesome. You can retire now. I am. I am retiring <laughs> next week. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> this is a hobby, babe. Don't quit your day job. <laughs> oh well. Good to be here. Yep. We're doing another morning episode, kind of. Yeah, I just drank a bunch of coffee, so we'll see. I might just sit here and shake. Oh. All right. Well, make sure we can't catch it on that mic. No. I don't want to edit that out. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we got a little business to take care of. Uh, We had an issue with episode nine last week. Yeah. So sorry. I'm so sorry. I don't know what... We don't know what happened 23 emails later with Buzzsprout and Apple, and it finally got fixed. We don't know how it got fixed. Yeah, it was weird. somehow it got up after four days. Yeah. So that was weird. And then I listened back to episode nine, and I heard something that I said that I was a little bit confused about. So I wanted, just in case anybody else was confused about this. Okay. Do you remember that duffel bag that the boys had their clothes in? Right. So this is the Pamela, Greg and Pamela Smart case. Anyways, they never found that duffel bag with the bloody clothes in it. What they did find was the pillowcase that, uh, what was his name? See, I've already blocked it out of my head what his name was. On new things. Okay, I'm on to new things. But so you remember the pillowcase that they found stuffed behind a a wall? Right. Okay, that was different. That was the pillowcase that contained like the CDs. And the costume jewelry, that kind of stuff. Right. It was not the duffel bag. The duffel bag was never found. The duffel bag that they threw into the woods. Yeah, I guess that's confusing because it seems like there's multiple bags. Right. I just needed to clear that up because I listened to it and I was like, oh, man, that sounds so confusing. It sounds like it was the duffel bag that they found behind the wall. No, it wasn't. It was the dark pillowcase. Okay. Okay. Well, now I feel better. Now I can sleep at night. Okay, so we want to do every new case, we want to do a shout out to one of our 11 listeners. Yeah. This is somebody who has contacted us or rated and reviewed us or sent me a message on Instagram or like tagged us in Instagram. For this particular case, our shout out goes to Rosetta from San Diego. Hi, Rosetta. Hi, Rosetta. Rosetta happens to be my cousin. (laughs) (laughs) but she's been so supportive and leaving us, you know, like shouting us out on Instagram and rating and reviewing us. And there might be a little bit of nepotism, but she says she really likes the show and she's awesome. And thank you, Rosetta. You're so sweet. (laughs) Thanks Rosetta. The check's in the mail. Oh yeah. I wish, right? (laughs) I wish we could pay people to listen to it. (laughs) I think that defeats the purpose though. I know. Right. Daniel, you have factoids. I do. It's sad because we're getting old. Uh, so the factoid is more of a discussion, I think, and that's about midlife crises. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so what age do you think men start a midlife crisis on average? 
Okay. I'm going to say in our box. So let's say 45. Close. It's 43. 43? Yeah. Oh, gosh. All right. And what do you think for women? I'm going to go younger. I'm going to go 35. 45. 40? Okay. Typically. Typically. That's just kind of average. So that means I got a year. You got a year. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Before you bring home that red sports car. That's it. What do you think men tend to do for their midlife crisis? Or what do you think drives them to it? I'm going to do what they show in like every movie. Okay. So buy a red sports car, uh, get a new wife who looks like your old wife did 20 years ago. What do you think the fear is that starts it? Uh, gray hair. Yeah, actually, that's true. So oh. for men. <laughs> yeah. Men, it's all about fear. And so it's fear of aging, fear of loss of their what they look like, fear of death and get starting to get sick. We start worrying about, you know, aches and pains. The biggest thing is that we start and we start focusing on lost time. Because mm. we start having this fear of like, oh my gosh, I'm running out of time. I gotta finish my accomplishments, that sort of thing. So was I right, though, about the red sports car and the upgrade of a wife? That's usually a response to it. Mm, Okay. Yeah. And then for women, it's uh, more of a focus, like, on themselves internally. Um, The biggest one is when children are, are start to leave, meaning they're still home, but they're, they're gone. They're not around as much. So you start feeling kind of like, well, now what am I going to do? Oh, I have a whole list of things I'm going to do. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it just depends on what your what your your crisis turns into. Huh. I guess menopause for women too. Oh gosh. Yes. I could see that for sure. Do you start questioning like living up to your potential? No, cuz I don't have myself that high enough pedestal. Oh, see, so you're good. You're probably not going to have it. <laughs> well, I don't want a sports car, but I want like an old Nova or something. Is that is that kind of the same thing? I don't think so. Because that's, that's not as much of a, I think that's more of a guy thing. Yeah. With women, is it like plastic surgery, like new boobs? Yes. That's, that's one of the biggest physical changes. And they're saying the biggest thing for men is, um, is the, uh, what's the needle thing in the forehead? What's it? Botox. Botox, yeah. Actually, they call it Brotox. Brotox? Mm-hmm. I thought that's where guys chat with each other. No. I love Botox. I'm a huge fan. Oh. Especially if you get headaches. Huh. Yeah. Well, that's good. Hopefully, we don't switch places and I get the breast augmentation and you get the Botox. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. New boobs sound nice, but- They I, do. Sorry. <laughs> go ahead. Stop. But I think you get to a certain age where being put under scares me more than anything because there's so much to lose. So if you don't wake up, there's so much to lose. That scares me more than anything. Oops, I just hit my computer. Don't hit it. That was a good one, honey. Yeah, I thought that was interesting, especially when I realized I have a year. You do have a year. Yeah. I wonder what your midlife crisis is going to be. I hope it involves me. Yeah. Like you get more into me. Do you know the the biggest <laughs> p- problem that leads to a midlife crisis that I was reading? Lack of sex. No. Oh. 
it's when you focus so much on other people or your career mm. and you don't do anything for yourself, you're much more likely to to experience some sort of midlife crisis because I think you you bottle it up so much that you finally go, holy crap, I haven't done anything. I'm going to go do that. I'm going to go find a new wife. I'm going to get a car, you know, whatever. So they're right. trying to compensate or overcompensate for that lack of it. That makes sense. So the recommendation is to actually be more, not selfish, but focus on yourself more and enjoy your, you know, actually enjoy life more. Yeah. Like take vacation. Yeah. If, if you enjoy that, but do something you enjoy instead of being so worried about everyone else right? or focus or guys like, you know, for workaholics and you're so worried about acquiring money or assets and things like that. Yeah. And then you wake up and you're 40, what'd I say? 44, 43, 43, 43, 43 for men, 45 for women. There you go. All right, Babel, keep a, keep an extra special eye on you. Okay. This is the case of Phil and Bryn Hartman. Does that name sound familiar? See, is, I think he's an, is he an actor? He sounds familiar. Yes, he's an actor and comedian. Isn't, was he on Saturday Night Live? Saturday, I can't talk. Saturday Night Live? Yes. Yeah, he was. I think he's the, um, oh my God. He's the dad. He played the dad in the skit with Chris Farley. Yes. With the whole <laughs> motivational speaker. Yes. And, uh. And the van down by the river. Skit. Yeah, yeah, where he coll- where Chris Farley right. jumps on the. He's dead. He's dead. No, he is. He's dead. Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah, he was killed the day of my high school graduation, and I distinctly remember it. Well, that's not very nice. I know, isn't it awful? Most people don't realize that he's actually dead. Wow. I know. I know, and it's a tragic story. It's a horrible story. All right. And that's why I'm going to share it. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess obviously we wouldn't be doing it if he wasn't dead, but yeah, well, that sucks. I know. All right. Here we go. On the morning of May 28th, 1998, at 6.20 a.m., a call came into the emergency dis- dispatch line. I cannot say that. The emergency dispatch line in Los Angeles County. The dispatcher was informed that a man had been shot and that his wife was locked in their bedroom. The police raced to the gated community in Encino, California, an upscale suburb of Los Angeles. As the two children were being removed from the estate, the police were notified that the gunman had locked herself in the bedroom with the deceased. A few officers made their way up the stairs into the large double doors to the master suite. An officer called out the gunman's name. They heard a scream and then one gunshot. Not knowing the origin or whether or not it was directed at them, they moved back. Coming up with a plan, they decided to cause a distraction for the gunman by throwing a brick through the master bedroom window while another officer forced their way through the locked double doors. Once inside, they realized that there was no need for the distraction. Sitting up in bed against the headboard was 40-year-old Bryn Hartman with a self-inflicted gunshot to the head. Lying next to her in bed was the bloodied and deceased body of her 49-year-old husband, beloved actor-comedian Phil Hartman. Holy crap. 
It's intense, right? Yeah. I guess I should have had like a little trigger warning. This is a murder-suicide. So sorry about that. So how much, how how old was he in that skit, I wonder? How much, how many years past that did this happen? Oh, I bet he was like 42. In that skit? In that skit, probably. Wasn't, wasn't very old. My no, age? Your age. Oh my gosh, right before uh, midlife crisis. Yeah. Wow. Maybe there's there. a midlife crisis murder suicide. Sorry, I'll stop. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to go into Phil Hartman. I'm going to kind of do his backstory, kind of his biography, just because he was so beloved and just because a lot of people don't even know that he's dead. So let's, you know, I just want to kind of give him some props and all that good stuff. Philip Edward Hartman was born on September 24th, 1948. He would have been 73 years old today. Wow. I know. All the things that this man could have done. He was so talented. He was raised in Brantford, Ontario, Canada. Ayo. I was going to say. Love I, Canadians. There's a lot of Canadians that were on SNL. Yeah. I don't know. Can- Canadians, Canadians seem to be funnier than us. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> they don't have anything else to do. Oh, yeah. He was the fourth of eight children born to Rupert and Doris Hartman. He was raised Catholic and stated that he had to earn affection and that he didn't get what he wanted out of his family life, so he started seeking love and attention elsewhere. At 10 years old, his family moved to the United States, finally landing in California. Phil was always the class clown, obviously. At 19 years old, he dropped out of college to become a roadie with a rock band. Phil returned to school in 1972. He earned a degree in graphic design from California State University, Northridge. After graduation, he operated his own graphic arts business and was really, really successful. He designed the covers of over 40 albums and logos for bands and businesses. Wow. His very first television appearance was on an episode of The Dating Game, which he won, but the woman never showed up for the date. Oh. (laughs) In 1975, as a way to be more social, he began taking evening comedy classes run by the Groundlings. I've never seen the Groundlings. What is that? It's a comedy troupe. They were a famous sketch comedy and improv group located in Los Angeles. You've never heard of the Groundlings? No. Oh, I thought you'd be like, oh my gosh, I know exactly who they are. I have no idea. After several years of training and paying his way by redesigning the group's logo and merchandise... By 1979, he had joined the cast and became one of the show's show's shining stars. Say that five times fast. Another key player of the Groundlings was Paul Rubens, otherwise known as Pee Wee Herman. Oh, I'll say that sounded familiar too. Phil and Paul created that character together and developed the Pee Wee Herman show, which started off as a live stage show. And then it aired on HBO in 1981. Hmm. Phil played Captain Carl on the live show and the children's show Pee-wee's Playhouse. Were you allowed to watch Pee-wee's Playhouse? We watched, I think I watched it at other people's houses. Yeah. I don't think my mom would have gone for that. No, probably I want to say not, but I don't think it came on Antenna Television. 
You did. You had like a black and white television forever. <laughs> we did for a little while. Yeah. yeah. Oh gosh. No, I don't. I think remember it, watching it. Yeah, regularly. I, I did. I do remember watching it, but I don't remember watching it at our house. It would have been someone else's house. Yeah. Hartman even co-wrote the script for the movie Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. After a creative disagreement with Paul Rubens, they decided to go their separate ways. And I think it was probably because uh, Big Top Pee Wee was such a horrible movie. <laughs> I don't remember that movie. <laughs> you but... don't remember Big Top Pee Wee? No. Oh, my gosh. I, I remember loving it. it when I was a kid and then watching it as an adult and being like, oh, yeah, this isn't a great Did Pee Wee's Big Adventure include like a bicycle? Yeah. Okay, that's yeah. all that image and pops his in my head. Bicycle was stolen, so he went on this cross country trip oh. to go find his bicycle. That's yeah. that's tough on foot. Yeah, you almost need yeah. a bicycle to go on a adventure to find a bicycle. That's true. <laughs> and then Big Top Pee Wee was about him owning a farm, and then a circus comes, and I don't know because that's whatever. not weird at all. No, and okay. Phil Hartman did not co-write that no. movie. Phil began taking small roles in movies such as Jumpin' Jack Flash. That's a great movie. Oh, my gosh. And The Three Amigos. Another (laughs) great movie. (laughs) You can see where my comedy lies is in those movies. Wasn't your dad in that? Chevy Chase? Oh, gosh. My dad. He looks very similar to him. Yeah. My dad looks like Will Ferrell and Chevy Chase had a baby. He does. It's kind of funny. It is. It is. Hi, Dad. The, <laughs> the three amigos. Oh my gosh! I know. And he also was lending his voice to animation projects because he had an amazing voice. In 1986, Hartman auditioned to become the part of the cast for the 11th season of Saturday Night Live. This was the season that Lorne Michaels had taken back creative control. He had been recommended for the cast by fellow Groundlings and SNL cast members John Levitz and Lorraine Newman. He won the coveted spot. The season began airing on October 11, 1986. Phil was one of the longest-running cast members in the history of SNL, staying for eight seasons. So he was the longest-running for a really long time. And then um, Tim Meadows beat him out. I don't, re- I don't know how long Tim Meadows was on there, but he became the longest. Yeah. And then now it's um, Keenan something. Oh, yes. Yeah. I yeah. And he's great. I think he's the only like, yeah. decent part of Saturday Night, Live, Saturday Night Live right now. I do not. I refuse. I to like watch the older anymore. SNL. No, I think it was yeah. really talented, really funny. The skits were funny. They just. A hundred percent. Now it's not even funny. Not really. Sorry if you like Saturday Night Live. I don't even know what wh- how I would watch it. Is it still on? Is SNL still? It's still on regular television, right? I assume so. Oh, okay. I think we would know if it wasn't on. He performed over 70 characters. His original characters include Eugene, the anal retentive chef, <laughs> and unfrozen caveman lawyer. Oh, my God. That's my favorite. Go look it up on YouTube. Okay. It's amazing. He was most well-known for his impressions of Frank Sinatra, Ronald Reagan, Ed McMahon, Barbara Bush. Oh, my God. (laughs) Charlton Heston, Phil Donahue, and most notably, Bill frickin' Clinton. Nice. Yeah. His Bill Clinton (laughs) 
Was it spot on? Spot on. And he did it during the whole Monica Lewinsky thing. (laughs) So it was just amazing. Okay, please, you guys, go look up Phil Hartman on YouTube. Best of. YouTube. Yeah, the best of Phil Hartman. He was, he was amazing. He even won a primetime Emmy for outstanding writing for a variety, music, or comedy for his 1989 season of SNL. He was also nominated individually for outstanding individual performance in a variety or music program. So he was known as the glue by his cast members. He was never one to demand center stage, and he let others shine. Lorne Michaels even called Hartman the least appreciated cast member and still praises Phil to this day for his amazing character work. Nice. Yeah. And he does. If you watch the best of Phil Hartman, you you can see him like back off and let these other people have their moment to shine. Right. And he would help out the writers. He was just, I don't know, he just sounded like a really great guy. Jay Leno even offered him the role of his sidekick on The Tonight Show. Oh, that would have been awesome. I know. Phil turned him down because NBC promised him if he stayed one more year on SNL, he would get his own variety show called The Phil Show. Nice. When his last year was over, his variety show ended up falling through, but he decided to leave SNL anyways. He was ready to move on. He was also in a bunch of movies, most famously Coneheads. (laughs) Oh, that's right. (laughs) So I Married an Axe Murderer. He's the guy that they take a tour of Alcatraz with. He's the tour guide for Alcatraz. Yeah. We just let our son watch So I Married an Axe Murderer, and I saw him. Yeah. I thought he was in it. That's important. That's an important documentary. About Alcatraz? No. They So I Murdered an Axe Murderer. (laughs) I do love Sam. Yeah. Yeah. All right. It's a joke. I know. He was in... So really one of his only starring roles in a movie was in the movie House Guest with Sinbad. Oh my gosh. I know, right? We're going way back. And then he was also a pretty key player in the Christmas movie called Jingle All the Way with Arnold Schwarzenegger. He was the schwarmy next door neighbor. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) He always played those. I forgot how many yeah, there's so many different things he Mm -hmm. was in. He always played like the schwarmy guy. He also did the voice for many characters on The Simpsons, appearing in 52 episodes. His favorite was Troy McClure, who was a washed up B-movie actor. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yep. From 1995 through 1998, he became a star on NBC sitcom called News Radio. He joined the ensemble cast in its second season. He played Bill McNeil. It also starred Dave Foley from um, Kids in the Hall fame. Did you ever watch Kids in the Hall? No. Oh, my gosh. I love that. Andy Dick. I remember him. Joe Rogan. Never heard of him. (laughs) Shut up. And a bunch of other people, obviously. The show was critically acclaimed, but it was never a ratings hit. I loved news radio. I grew up watching television, so I... I know all this stuff. You're, yeah, you're clear. You're, <laughs> you're much well farther versed. ahead. Yeah, I am. News radio was a great show. Actually, I hope they 
bring it out on like Netflix or one of those streaming services because it was a, it was a really great show. They need to they need to go way back. They do. They need to bring back all these old shows. Bring bring back quality. Yeah. So I have a quote okay. from Phil's really good friend John Lovitz and let me pull it up. Whatever he was going to imagine or say was nothing you could imagine or think of. He could do any voice play any character, make his face look different without makeup. He was king of the groundlings. Wow. Isn't that nice? That's awesome. I know. I know. So now we're going to get into the personal life. Pretty important. (laughs) Phil had two short marriages under his belt by 1982. According to his second wife, he was reclusive off screen and would disappear emotionally. He'd be in his own world. That passivity made you crazy. That's hmm. the quote from his second wife. Yeah. Phil met his third wife, Vicky Joe Ombal, aka Bryn. Uh-oh. She had changed her name to Bryn. They'd met on a blind date in 1986, right before he auditioned for SNL. She was tall, beautiful, and considered a trophy wife. She was a struggling model and actress that just could never find her big break. Bryn was also a recovering drug addict and alcoholic. Yeah. They really hit it off. Like, really hit it off. Yeah. After he was hired to join the SNL cast, together they moved to New York City. They were married in November of 1987. They had a son in 1989 and a daughter in 1992. You can see her in the opening credits of SNL. You can see her, like, you know how they flash, not a picture, but, like, they used to do the live, um, like, smiling. Yeah. Yeah, and they'd say, like, Phil Hartman, right? Yeah. You can see her because he's, they're sitting at a table and he's, like, talking to her and then he pans over to the camera and smiles. Well, you can see the back of her head because she's sitting at the table with him. Oh. And if you notice, her earring, she's wearing these really long earrings and her earring is swinging like almost violently back and forth because she kept turning her head towards the camera so that they would see her face. And they were like, no, 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 no. We're not supposed to see your face. We're supposed to see Phil's face. Oh, wow. So they caught her as she turned towards Phil. And then he just happened to look up and smile and her earring is swinging. That is an interesting detail. I know, isn't it? I thought that was very interesting. And that says a lot about her as a person like, even though she wanted the spotlight, she wanted the spotlight, yeah. even though it was her husband's moment to shine. She wanted that spotlight as well. What a horrible, horrible lady. <laughs> Stop. Okay. She wanted to be an actress all of her life, but it never panned out. She was extremely jealous of Phil's success and it would cause horrible fights in public and in private. See, Phil would usually walk away and go to bed. Oh, boy. He was very passive about that. He would wake up in the morning and pretend nothing had happened. And Bryn would purposely initiate arguments before Phil had a big rehearsal or a big show to do. Dang. I know. She could be verbally and physically abusive to Phil. He would try to get her acting roles, but she became progressively more reliant on drugs and alcohol. Yep. Even having to remove the children from the household to stay with friends and family because of her drug-fueled outbursts. 
He told close friends that he was thinking of retiring in order to save his marriage and family. He couldn't have been very old, right? No. I mean, Okay, wow. so this is a quote from his second wife, Lisa Jarvis, who he remained really good friends with. And she said, my sense of Phil was that he was really two people. He was the guy who wanted to draw and write and think and create and come up with ideas. He was the actor and entertainer. And then he was the recluse. So I feel like he would give all of his energy to these projects and these characters. Yeah. And then he would have nothing left to give when he got home. I think that's common. I think so in, too. In show business, if we still call it that, is these people that are really, really talented on screen. Mm -hmm. As soon as the camera shut off, they turn into a total recluse and yeah. just hide. I probably would. I don't know. After moving back to California, the marriage got worse. They only had adult aerobics twice a year with Bryn initiating it. This is according to friends wow. that she had talked about twice a year. Do you think he was um, having aerobic classes elsewhere? I don't think so. I just think he just lost desire. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. As a guy, I'm not buying it. Yeah. Phil was pulling away more and more every year, becoming physically and emotionally distant. Bryn had been in and out of rehab multiple times for the last couple of years, trying to kick the addiction to the drugs and alcohol that when mixed with her antidepressants triggered violent outbursts. Holy crap. The antidepressant Zoloft was given to Bryn by her son's psychiatrist for her to try. Nice. Yeah, this is a child psychologist giving an adult a trial pack of Zoloft every time her child went into his psychiatrist. Nice. How'd that work out? Yeah. Well, we'll get there. Okay. Not knowing that when mixed with alcohol or drugs can have serious side effects, including mood swings and aggressive behavior. Wow. So she turned into a wild, just yeah. soup of messed up yeah -ness. but i think she also just didn't know how to deal with phil and his distance and his celebrity status i just feel like she just didn't know how to deal with that either so this is another quote from uh phil's biographer mike rogers in an interview he says his relationships would always start out very intensely intense emotionality sexuality, and then they would inevitably peter out. With Phil, he was always on the hunt for the new, the fresh, and he had an artist's eye for beauty. Now, Bryn was beautiful. Yeah, but she was annoying. Bryn also had like an addiction to plastic surgery. Oh. I know. It was sad. See, I think she was just trying to make herself beautiful, not only to Phil, but... I'm sure your self-esteem and your self-confidence getting rejected all the time in castings. You, like you have no confidence, no self-esteem anymore. So there's, you think, let me go fix my eyelids and I'll be perfect. There's her midlife crisis right there. That's true. That's Cause, really cause true. She's starting to feel desperate and like she's missing the boat. And, yeah. and age just keeps ticking up. Yep. So you start chasing that, that image. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things was watching the hairline. So every morning you wake up and you go, holy crap, my hair's moving. <laughs> yeah, moving further and further my back. Boob, my boobs are moving. My butt's lower. Everything's <laughs> lower. 
It's true. Hair's thinner. Oh, it's so true. How could you not get depressed at that point? Especially if you're someone who, who visualizes yourself on screen. Right. So you start, cha- and then the downward spiral of drugs and alcohol, that sucks. Yeah, it's awful. Well, anyway. and, and being an addict makes you look older too. Yeah. What do they call that? A beautiful mess. Yeah. Yeah, that's a beautiful The night of May 27th, Bryn met a friend, a woman friend, for drinks at Buca de Peppo in Encino, California. It's my favorite restaurant. Have you ever been to one? No. Oh, it's like family style. Oh. I don't know. It's cool. Whatever. She only had two Cosmopolitans and a beer in the course of two hours, but no food. Her friend said she was in a good frame of mind when, when they said goodbye even making plans for drinks the next week. Bryn did not go home after her dinner date. She instead made her way over to her ex-boyfriend's house named Ron. They were no longer intimate, but did like to hang out as friends. And they used to do drugs together and stuff, but he was clean. Yeah. They were no longer... Oh, I already said that. After 10 p.m., Bryn arrived at Ron's house. Over the next couple hours, Bryn had three more beers and opened up to Ron about her marital issues. She complained about Phil being gone for long periods of time and his overuse of marijuana. She said the marijuana made him more distant, like he wasn't even there. That's sad. It is. That's really sad. Before 1 a.m., Ron told Bryn it was time for her to go home to Phil and the children. Okay, so this is what investigators think happened. Obviously, nobody knows exactly the truth but they can kind of guess. So Bryn got home after 1 a.m. and started a fight with Phil. Phil retreating emotionally and physically to their bedroom to sleep. Around 3 a.m. after drinking some more alcohol and doing cocaine, which was found in her system, she entered their bedroom and went into the bathroom. There's a metal lockbox and pulled out their 38 pistol. Walked to her side of the bed and shot her husband of 10 years three times. She shot Phil once between the eyes, once in the throat, and once in the chest while he slept. Phil died instantly. Holy crap. I know. This is awful. That was not very nice at all. No. They think that he probably told her, like, this marriage is over because she came home drunk. I don't know. Right. Just started a fight. and This is over. Now I'm going to sleep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, everyone, don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. Because she might lose it. Yeah. Around 3.30 a.m., Bryn called her friend Ron and told him that Phil was gone for the evening and had left a note. She asked if she could come over and stay the night because she didn't want to be alone, but Ron said no because she shouldn't leave the children by themselves. The kids were only six and eight. Oh, my gosh. How? Okay, so the kids didn't hear a gunshot? The son heard a gunshot heard the gunshots but he thought it was somebody slamming the door three times he said it sounded like a door slam and they probably fought a lot and And they probably doors slammed yeah and the kids were probably used to it by that yeah 20 minutes later she was knocking on ron's door stinking of booze she was shoeless and disheveled and clearly under the influence of something other than alcohol In order to control the chaos, Ron had her come inside and she immediately fell to the floor and passed out. Afraid of an overdose, Ron woke her up and she ran into the bathroom and began throwing up over and over again. 
When she came out of the bathroom, Ron had made them tea. Bryn then confessed to shooting Phil in their bedroom three times, even showing him the gun she used. She had it in her purse. Oh, wow. Yeah. He did not initially believe her because he miscounted the number of bullets still in the chamber. She told him she had shot him three times, so he looked in the chamber and he miscounted. Uh-oh. So he was like, oh, she, she lost her mind. Like, right. She, she hallucinated it. Eventually, Bryn sobered up enough to drive herself home, but told Ron he needed to follow her. On their way back to the Hartman house, Bryn called her friend Judy and told her what she had done. Making it to the house, Bryn and Ron made their way to the master bedroom. Ron saw Phil lying in bed and covered in blood. Bryn began to scream while Ron ran out of the room and called 911. As police were on their way, friends began showing up. Ron told them what he'd seen and they began removing the children from the home. Bryn had locked herself in their bedroom and called her sister, telling her sister exactly what happened. She then asked her sister to take care of their children. Police arrived and made their way to the locked door. Bryn told her sister the police were there and that she loved her children, hung up the phone. She crawled in bed next to Phil with her back against the headboard, screamed, and then shot herself in the head. They were both pronounced dead at the scene. Damn. I know. I'm sorry. This is horrible. Word of the murder-suicide had spread like wildfire through Los Angeles. Reporters and tabloid news organizations swarmed the Hartman estate. In a couple hours, despite the lack of actual knowledge, these reporters started running the story with snippets of information they had and what they thought they had. Colleagues and former colleagues heard about Phil's death and were shocked, never thinking that this could happen to Phil or to Bryn. Friends began to gather at the home of John Levitz. They needed a place to grieve and to share stories and memories of their friends. Their children were raised by her sister and brother-in-law out of California. The kids are adults now. I didn't want to say their name because they deserve privacy right. themselves. So if you really want to know who they are, you can just look it up. Yeah. Phil was set to start filming the fifth season of News Radio in the couple months after he was killed. Episode one of that season was titled Bill Moves On, in which Phil's character Bill McNeil died of a heart attack. It's one of the most emotional episodes of any television show. John Levitz filled in for Phil on news radio for the fifth and final season. Wow. It is one of the most heartbreaking huh. like episodes I think I've ever seen, including MASH. Do you remember the sh MASH? Oh, yeah. When yeah. the doctor died? In the helicopter crash. Yeah. And oh my gosh. So that episode and then this episode of news radio is just, it's just beyond. Like I can't even watch it again. I remember watching it one time and then I was like, I'm done. I can't. Yeah. I can't ever watch this again. So now John Lovitz blamed Andy Dick for Bryn's drug addiction. Towards oh, the end. Mm -hmm. was he helping to supply? He said that at a New Year's party... At the Hartman's, Bryn did cocaine with Andy in the bathroom and that she, that's what led her to start her spiral into addiction again because she'd been clean for a while. Wow. Yeah. Andy claims he doesn't remember. No. John and Andy have been in two physical altercations because of this. 
like where John Lovitz kicked his butt. Wow. <laughs> like slammed his head against a bar many times. I think Andy Dick is uh, pretty messed up too. Well, he used to be. I don't know anymore. Yeah. I don't want to say he's messed up now because people can people can change. Yeah. But I guess he and John Lovitz are friends again. Oh, okay. But um, John really blames him for Phil's death. Yeah. Which is really sad. His many characters on The Simpsons were retired. They wow. just stopped. They just stopped. Yeah. A wrongful death lawsuit was filed in 1999 by Bryn's brother against Pfizer, the manufacturer of Zoloft, and against her children's psychiatrist who had provided sample packs of the antidepressant to Bryn, and they settled out of court. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Oh, Phil was inducted into Canada's Walk of Fame on September 22nd, 2012. He was also inducted into the Hollywood Walk of Fame on August 26, 2014. He has a star. Oh, sweet. I know. Isn't that cool? 2015, Rolling Stone ranked Phil as one of the top 10 greatest SNL cast members in the show's 40-year history. He was seventh out of 141 cast members. That's amazing. That is really cool. And that's the end of my case (laughs) for this episode. I just read a ton of articles and I listened to two podcasts about Phil. Uh, One was called Crimes of Passion, which is one of my favorite podcasts. I highly recommend it. And there's one I'd never heard of before, but they were actually really fun. It's called Holly Shook, a celebrity scandal podcast. And they do old scandals and new scandals and... I had a lot of fun listening to them, so I suggest listening to that podcast as well. That's awesome. Yeah, so what do you think of the case? I had no idea. That's insane. I had no idea. I mean, I knew, I remember when this happened, and I've always had this kind of in the back of my head, like this was definitely a case that I wanted to to discuss and talk about just because Phil was such an amazing comedic actor. But I didn't know that there was so much backstory. It's the dark side of Hollywood. Oh, that definitely. No one talks about. Every now and then it leaks out, mm-hmm. but it's not all roses and sunshine. No. I don't think being famous is all it's cracked up to be. No, because there's that you can't be high that much. And I don't mean drug high, just on a high. Right. A lot of, I th- I believe a lot of people come, they, they have to come down at some point. For sure. So they're always struggling with that. It's like a drug addiction in a way. So they they do achieve some sort of level and then you're always trying to to keep up with it. Yeah. Chasing the dragon. Kind of. of. Fame. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good analogy, right? Yeah. Chasing the dragon of fame. There we go. Dragon of fame. (laughs) So if you like our podcast, please go rate and review us. Five stars, preferably. That really helps us. I didn't realize how much it helps podcasts, but it really does. Yeah. So please go do that. Our Instagram is Till Death Do Us Part Podcast. Our website is Till Death Do Us Part.com. Our YouTube channel is Till Death Do Us Part, a true crime podcast. Yep. Our email, <laughs> I know this is so stupid. Till death do us part at att.net. And the reason we want you to have our email is because we want to remind you about our new segment that we want to do called Quickie with our listeners. Yep. So please send us stories of cheating, 
I don't know. I always say grandma stabbing, stabbing grandpa with a fork. Like any sort of crazy marriage story is so much fun. And we love to read those to each other live. That would be funny. It would be really funny. I think people get a kick out of it. I think so too. And it's just to kind of show us and to show all of you, especially those of you that are married, that there's some crazy married people out there. And just because you don't see it in person doesn't mean it doesn't happen. Right. There's a lot of things that have come out, especially in our group of friends, that we were like, what? And in this day and age uh, with Facebook and social media, what people present to the world as reality is not all of it. It's just the part you want people to see. So it's all the dark stuff behind that that never gets put out. It's all fake. Yeah, but I mean, people have bad days and, you know, so it, like you said, if grandma stabbed grandpa because he drank too much and then apologized later, I mean, that's hilarious. That is funny. I mean, it's not funny, (laughs) but it's kind of funny. I think it's funny. If you survive it, it's funny. Right. If you're shot in your sleep. Yeah. It's not funny. Or your wife tries to shoot you in the head with a crossbow. Right. That's always, (laughs) that's always something, isn't it? It is. It is. Oops, it accidentally went off <laughs> in the middle of the night in the dark. Uh, well, I promise you I will not shoot you three times in your sleep. Okay. And who has a lockbox in their bathroom with a gun in it? They had I a wanted bunch to of ask guns. you that. Yeah, they had a bunch of guns. She collected she started collecting guns when they moved to New York. Not to get on the gun control thing, but that's probably not safe for someone who is a Drug addict, alcoholic, yeah, practicing Zoloft. You would think that maybe Phil would have hidden it, hidden the yeah, guns. That's but they were oh her gosh. guns that, like I said, she started getting guns when they moved to New York. Yeah, which she, I mean, she would have just gotten a crossbow, even if she didn't have a gun. Yeah, she would have done something. <laughs> he was do- she, unfortunately they were doomed. Yeah, she snapped. Yep, she really did snap. All right, so. That was my case of Phil Hartman, and we lost an amazing character actor and an amazing comedian, and I can see why people are still so upset by this case. I'll mm-hmm. never watch the Chris Farley skit the same ever again. I know. It's going to be weird. Well, because you didn't know that he was dead. No, I had no idea. So I'm sure a lot of our listeners didn't even realize that he had died. No. And the only reason I remember, like I said, is because this happened the day I graduated from high school. Wow. And I remember everybody was upset. It's almost personal for you. Almost. (laughs) Okay, well, be careful for marriage is a life sentence. Yep. Yeah. Ugh, it really is. As they say, you're never going to make it out of life alive. (laughs) Or marriage, for that matter, one way or another. One one way or another, you're either going to die married or just die. Yes. Right. right. Well, now I'm depressed. (laughs) Till next time. Uh, Bye. Bye Bye-bye.